Hi, so we're recording this program now. Welcome everyone to this month's webinar uh, from the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. Uh, today we're going to be talking about advocacy issues to improve care for residents with dementia. It sounds like we had some new people that were joining us today, so just I'll just reiterate that if you receive the invitation and we post it on our Facebook page as well, uh, and it's on our website and it goes out to uh, through the Amazon programs, that has the URL, the web address, to access this program. Uh, you could also call in, and many people do call in, and they don't, um, uh, they don't necessarily have internet access, but they call in for the program. We will also, uh, we, excuse me, we have also posted the PowerPoint of this program, the slides, on our website. Um, and it's right at nursinghome411.org, and you can uh, you can access that right away. So without further ado, we're going to get started. Again, welcome, everyone. We appreciate you being here. I just want to say a shout-out to the New York State Health Foundation that has funded and uh, supported this program today. So thank you all, and thank you to the foundation. A little bit about us, we always get started with just some basic information to let you know, especially since we have some new people today. Uh, we're, we are the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. We're a nonprofit organization entirely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for elderly and adult disabled people in long-term care residences, particularly nursing homes and assisted living, adult homes. They're called um, you know, different things. But we, um, uh, that is the focus of our work. We primarily do policy analysis and systems advocacy in our home state of New York as well as nationally. And increasingly, we do programs such as this to educate consumers, families, uh, long-term care ombudsmen, and uh, uh, nursing home caregivers, et cetera. I joined LTCCC in 2002, and I've been the executive Executive Director, excuse me, since 2005. And again, our website is nursinghome411.org. I'll say this a couple of times, but just keep in mind, you know, our programs, for those of you who have, who have joined us before, they tend to be very content intensive. You know, we want to give as much information as possible. My goal is uh, hoping to connect with you on some of these issues. There is no reason to necessarily take notes or to worry about remembering everything. All of the resources, everything that I talk about is available on our website. You can search for it. There's different uh, resources that we have that we'll talk about later on uh, on nursinghome411.org. Everything is free for you to use, to share. If you're with an organization, an Amazon program, uh, et cetera, you are more than welcome to take these materials and use them as your own. We're really happy um, to get the word out and to spread, you know, as much as we can some of the information that we have. What am I going to be talking about today? Well, um, again, our program is focused on dementia. Uh, we're going to first talk about some dementia care challenges, and then we'll talk about some of the standards that support good dementia care. I'm going to talk a bit about some of the so-called behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, what people experience, how that manifests for residents with dementia, and what nursing homes um, should be doing to address uh, or alleviate those issues. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about some resources that we have on our website to support understanding and, and your advocacy to improve care, whether you're a family member, an ombudsman, a resident, 
a uh, resident advocate or a caregiver. And oftentimes we get, and we're really pleased to get nursing home caregivers uh, on the um, on these programs as well. I'm going to leave some time for discussion and questions at the end. So again, everyone is muted for now, but we'll open it up later on for questions. It's really important to keep in mind what I talk about today, um, and the focus is on nursing homes and nursing home standards of care. Uh, they're specifically federal requirements for dementia care, for nursing home um, standards who can provide care and how that care is provided. However, uh, what we talk about in terms of dementia care and some of the expectations, some of the experiences that people have, they are valid as far as we're concerned. Uh, no matter where a resident or an individual is receiving care, whether that be an assisted living, whether that be through home care, uh, care in their community, etc. So it's uh, really important to keep in mind, again, what I mean by this is that the federal nursing home standards only apply officially to nursing homes. However, when we talk about what someone with dementia needs, when we talk about what someone with dementia deserves, when we talk about what is a good standard of care, um, that holds true no matter where that individual is. And as I noted here on the slide, three-quarters of assisted living residents have a documented diagnosis of dementia. And over a third of those people were being given antipsychotic drugs, for which if you've been on our programs before, that's a big issue for us and other consumers because too many residents, too many individuals with dementia are given antipsychotics, um, not because they have a psychotic condition such as schizophrenia, but because it makes them easier to care for. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I just wanted to plug in with that, that you know, a lot of those people are being given drugs potentially inappropriately. There's a high diagnosis level for people in assisted living with dementia, so it's something for all of us to keep in mind if you are a family member, a resident, if you're an ombudsman working in different settings, that these things apply to you and to your residents as well. Point number one, and this is the most important takeaway as far as I am concerned from the day, from I would say anything you'll ever learn or hear about dementia care and behaviors, et cetera, Dementia, so-called behaviors, are a form of communication, period. People don't just have behaviors for the heck of it. Uh, when someone with dementia has a behavior, it's because they're trying to communicate something. It might be that they are uncomfortable. It might be that they are upset. It might be that they're bored. Uh, there are a host of reasons why someone might be having a so-called dementia-related behavior or symptom, but that's always a form of communication. That's the most fundamental thing that I try to continually remind myself uh, and to remind others. So, so, so important. Uh, so a little bit about dementia. It's obviously a growing concern for, for elderly people, you know, seniors um, and their families across the country. Uh, 10% of people, according to the Alzheimer's Association, above age 65 are living with Alzheimer's disease. And that's, of course, the most frequently occurring form of dementia, but it's not the only form. There are other types of dementia out there. Uh, and at some point or another, when we talk about nursing home care, 
about half of people who reach age 60 will spend some time in a nursing home. So that's why we focus on these standards, and that's why it's so important. Some common behavioral symptoms of dementia, which we'll talk more about, but people become agitated. They might become aggressive. Uh, we see a lot of people who wander around. Uh, they become restless. There's a lot of different issues that affect people with dementia. Again, it's really, that could be a result of boredom. It could be a result of pain. It could be a result of being startled or upset, etc. So some dementia care challenges that we face as individuals and as a community is, number one, a lack of understanding of the needs and of the abilities of individuals with dementia. I think too often people with dementia are kind of written off by the system. Uh, they're kind of written off by um, caregivers and sometimes even by families and others who may be advocating for them, including loved ones who really care for them, is that because they're no longer able to understand uh, or to communicate as well as they did before, we kind of think of them as not really, or have a tendency to think of them as not really being there any longer. And in fact, residents with dementia, individuals with dementia, they certainly have needs. A lot of those needs are the same as they had when they were cognitively uh, intact, but that the needs are expressed differently. Um, they have abilities. Is that just because you have dementia doesn't mean that you're not able to do things. Uh, there's also a lack of understanding of so-called dementia behaviors. Again, I just want to reiterate, behavior equals communication. Too often what we see is that a caregiver will be offended or upset by a dementia-related behavior, by someone with dementia who is crying or who is um, spitting or, um, you know, making some or screaming or making some other noise or feeling agitated, and they may take that personally. They may not understand what is going on. Uh, but again, what that individual with dementia is doing is he or she is communicating that something is going on. Uh, and if they're seeming to be agitated or upset, then something's going on that is not good. Again, it could be pain. It could be boredom. It could be discomfort. Uh, could be being startled and not having a way to express them, not having the words to express it. So hence we have those behaviors. And then also there's a lack of knowledge about good practices and the standards of dementia care. And those good practices and the standards go hand in hand, as we'll talk about later on, that the standards reflect good practices. It's not just aspirational, we should be doing what the, what the federal requirements are someday, is that these are basic, long-standing good practices for caring and approaching people with dementia that we're going to be talking about. Fundamentally, though, as you know, I note here in the blue box, for those of you who are looking at the screen, in short, there is a need for sufficient staff who have the knowledge and the skills to meet the needs of residents with dementia. Uh, so what we often see is uh, in the nursing homes, um, in the assisted living, that there is either not enough staff or the staff just aren't trained, aren't equipped, aren't empowered to care for their residents with dementia, to take time to, um, to understand and to implement the practices, the care that residents with dementia need. 
So why don't we talk about the residents being challenging? You know, as I was I was writing this, uh, you know, last week and, and uh, over the weekend, I was thinking about this. You know, we we often talk about in you know in news articles, in when I, we talk to families, when we talk to professional caregivers about residents having challenging behaviors. But as you can see from the previous slide, and I'll go back for a second, is that I wasn't talking about when I talked about dementia care challenges. I wasn't talking about how residents with dementia are challenging or difficult to deal with. I talked about us. I talked about who we are as as family members, as caregivers, uh, et cetera, about how we, you know, you know, we need to be approaching residents with dementia because it's up to us to come back to the slide as professionals, as families, as friends, as ombudsmen and advocates to meet the individual with dementia where he or she exists. And that's something that I remember hearing a couple of years ago from uh, someone at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, that's the federal agency that oversees nursing home care. And that was when they were talking about the regulatory standards and they were asked a question about it. Well, you know, how are we supposed to do this? Well, you know, this was from a nursing home provider. Uh, you know, what are we supposed to do? And this person from CMS said, we expect you to meet the individual where he or she exists, to come, as you see in the picture here, if you're looking on, on the presentation, to be at that person's level, not to be talking down, not to see the resident with dementia as some someone uh, or something that you have to perform care upon, but rather as someone who you are caring for. So I'm going to talk briefly uh, about some of these, just in generally about some of the standards that support good dementia care, and then we'll go into a little bit more specifics later on towards the end of the program. But the federal standards are very clear. And again, we're talking about nursing homes here in particular. Nursing homes are required and they're paid to provide sufficient staff and the appropriate services to help every single resident attain and maintain his or her highest physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. This includes residents with dementia. Again, I think it's just so important, you know, one, that, that point I made before about, about dementia behaviors being a form of communication, but also to keep in mind that, you know, people with dementia are not lost. In some ways, you know, their, their existence is obviously very different, and their ability to communicate and understand and remember is different and could, and it itself for an individual could change from day to day, from the morning to the afternoon, et cetera, but it's up to the nursing home, it's up to the caregiver, wherever the caregiver is, to be working to understand where, where that individual is, to be meeting him or her where she exists, where he exists, and understanding and responding to those communications. So the federal standards here, and I just noted a couple of them, every single resident, including those with dementia, has the right to receive the care and services, again, to attain and maintain his or her highest possible well-being and functioning. Every resident has the right to be treated with dignity, and this is so, so important. And, and I just want to mention, in terms of the federal requirements, and some of those requirements have been updated and changed in recent years, for those of you We've been on previous programs that we've had, and we'll talk more about this as the as the federal standards are evolving. But they are 
looking at when we talk about dignity, when we talk about how residents should be treated on the federal level, not my idea, not my personal wishes uh, as Richard Mollett or as someone who works for the coalition, but the federal requirements are that everyone is treated with dignity and respect. If it's a resident with dementia, uh, that person also deserves to be and is expected to be treated with dignity and respect uh, just as if they were, um, they didn't have dementia, excuse me. Just as if they were you or me. This includes, for instance, you know, sometimes we hear about cases, uh, this is unfortunately a, a growing problem where uh, sometimes nurse aides or others will take pictures of residents in humiliating positions, naked or showing their genitals or showing a dirty diaper, et cetera. And what CMS has specifically said is that if the resident has dementia and maybe did not understand that they were being humiliated or embarrassed, that does not matter. It does not matter that they have dementia. What matters is the behavior and the accountability for that behavior uh, extends whether or not the resident has dementia and understood what was going on or didn't understand what was going on or did understand what was going on. So I hope that that makes sense. It's a little bit out of what we were going to talk about today, but I just wanted to mention it because it's so important that we think about uh, that these are individuals, they continue to be individuals, and they are individuals and seen as individuals with the same rights to care, to dignity, to being treated appropriately as people without dementia. And although we're talking about nursing home standards here, I just wanted to mention again that even though the federal rules don't apply to assisted living, they don't apply to people getting care at home, as far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as hopefully anyone who's concerned is advocating for residents that, or individuals, excuse me, that this extends to care no matter where they are receiving the care. So we are talking about basic standards of dignity. We're talking about basic standards of well-being. Uh, again, they're enforceable under the federal standards for nursing homes, but what we talk about, it, I hope, was useful to people across settings. Uh, residents have the right, a couple uh, more points on that before we move on, to have informed decision-making, meaning that every resident has the right to be informed about the risks or benefits of any medication or other treatment in language that he or she can understand. Now, if a res resident has significant dementia and lacks capacity, can't understand, his or her loved one, whoever or whoever is speaking for that resident, uh, takes his or her place and has the right to understand before any treatment, before any drug is given, uh, et cetera, what it is, what the risks and benefits are, what alternatives are, and to make a decision on that resident's behalf. And then lastly, this is really important, as I mentioned before, the overuse of antipsychotic drugs, which are very powerful medications on residents with dementia as a form of sedation, in essence, what we call chemical restraints, is absolutely prohibited. Uh, the nursing home regulations prohibit specifically giving medications that uh, to make a resident more convenient for staff to take care of. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about some of the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, and then we're going to go back at the end when I talk about resources that you can use to support 
dementia advocacy, et cetera, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of those specific requirements and how to find that information. Again, I just want to reiterate that there is no, no reason to memorize or, or take notes right now. What I really want to do is just plug on, in on with you, excuse me, on some of those different issues, on some of the different facets of, you know, how we approach dementia care, what residents' rights are, et cetera. And all these materials, including this presentation, will be on our website. We are recording it, so we'll have a YouTube um, uh, presentation as well, so you can view or listen to the recording again if you so choose. So what are we going to talk, be talking about here? Excuse me. We're going to talk about some of the typical behaviors that a person with dementia might exhibit. We'll talk about some important things to know about those behaviors, the so-called behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. We'll talk about some of the steps that providers are expected to take to address these symptoms. Again, we're focused on nursing homes, but I would say that good practices in nursing homes are good practices wherever someone with dementia is getting care. And then we're going to talk about some of the non-pharmacological approaches to helping residents without using antipsychotic drugs. So here are some examples of behavior that a, that a resident might exhibit which results in antipsychotic drugging too often. Um, one, aggressive behavior towards care staff or towards other residents or towards loved ones. Uh, abnormal or repetitive vocalizations. My parents had a friend who had early onset dementia and I remember them telling me that he was making a chirping noise. So you just make a chirping noise, uh, and the, he actually got kicked out of a nursing home for that. Uh, not legally, as, you know, as, as far as we know or understand. Again, I wasn't there, so I don't want to say, um, you know, exactly what happened with this individual, but it was a highly suspicious circumstance to me that the person was asked to leave his nursing home because he was making essentially a chirping noise and the nursing home didn't know what to do. Uh, most residents in both nursing homes and in assisted living have dementia, and therefore those facilities, those communities, should understand what the needs are of their customers and how to meet those needs in an appropriate way. Um, so in addition, we, you know, we have abnormal and repetitive vocalizations. We, have, we can have aggressive behaviors. We can have sleep dis disturbances, which can result in wandering and going through, you know, into other people's rooms, etc. Uh, we can have, you know, agitation or restlessness. Sometimes residents will be screaming or crying. Um, they can be exhibiting anxiety or, or depression or symptoms of anxiety or depression. And uh, residents or individuals with, with dementia often have delusions or hallucinations. Again, I want to iterate as I do on this, you know, uh, re-note on the side here, behavior is communication. Having behaviors is not a disease. That's not me saying it. I'm not a clinician. Uh, this is me doing research and looking at what clinicians say, at what standards of care are. Behavior is not a disease. So therefore, when we have residents who, are, who have aggressive behavior, when we have residents who are wandering or agitated or crying or, as my parents' friend was, chirping when he had dementia, we should be addressing, as caregivers, uh, caregivers should be addressing what is that person communicating? What is going on with him or her? And how can we uh, identify and meet 
that person's needs. Oops, I think I accidentally skipped that. Okay, so some important things to know about the so-called behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. The only symptoms that may be responsive to or appropriate for antipsychotic drug and treatment are aggression, agitation, or psychotic symptoms that pose an immediate risk of harm for the resident. Period. This is so important. Again, the federal requirements say that that um, pharmacological drugs, including antipsychotics, excuse me, all drugs are pharmacological, sorry about that, a psychopharmacological drugs, drugs that affect our psyche, uh, including be, you know, including uh, antipsychotic drugs should only be used if, they, if the individual poses an immediate risk of harm to him or herself or to others. Antipsychotic medications are only moderately effective for most of these symptoms, and they should be trialed as the last resort and for a limited period of time when there is an immediate risk of harm. Not all psychotic symptoms necessarily require pharmacological treatment of any kind. For instance, hallucinations that do not distress the person with dementia, you don't need to give that person drugs. If someone is not upset by what they're seeing or experiencing, then there is, there is no reason. Again, it's meeting that, in, in, in my eyes, it's meeting that resident where he or she is. And sometimes people with hallucinations, sometimes they are glad to see it. This is actually true of people with, for people with dementia. It's also true for people with Parkinson's disease. Uh, if, if someone is experiencing something that doesn't mesh with our reality, but that makes them happy, uh, or they're comfortable with it, so what? Why would we want to introduce something, a drug or some kind of intervention to take away something that makes someone happy. Uh, moving down, and I wanted to just go through, you know, I try not to just read through a PowerPoint when we do a presentation um, because I want it to be more of a background, but these are some points that I thought were really important. Nursing homes are required to consider other social, psychological, and physical needs that a person may have that may result in one of these behavioral or psychological symptoms, especially pain, because this is something that is highly prevalent among older people. Now, keep in mind, you know, think about it. If you have a backache or a stomachache or a headache, uh, if you're constipated or if you have a leg cramp, you can, you know, if you don't have dementia, um, you can do something about it. You can take an aspirin. You can go for a walk. You can stand up. I get leg cramps and I jump on my on my legs, you know, to try to if they fall asleep, etc. You can do those things. You can express this is something that's going on. I need to do something. Maybe I need to go to a doctor. Maybe I need medical attention. If you have dementia, sorry, sorry to interrupt. My dog is has a squeaky. I have a new puppy. <laughs> sorry about that. And her name is Zelda. Uh, for those of you who might be interested who adore people. In any case, we'll move on. Um, uh, but if, if, you don't, if you have dementia, you cannot, you cannot often say, I am in pain. This is uncomfortable for me. I need an aspirin. I need to see a doctor. Uh, I'm constipated. My tummy hurts. So what do you do? You express yourself in any way that you can. And that may be through crying. It may be through 
shouting. It may be through hitting. Uh, but again, that is why it's so important for us all, especially caregivers, to remember that these symptoms are the result, they're a form of communication. I am trying to tell you something. What am I trying to say? Please find out. Lastly, most of these symptoms are highly responsive to non-pharmacological approaches. And these approaches, when you know, when we talk about non-pharmacological, not using drugs, using other kinds of approaches to address what's going on with the resident, should be based upon, excuse me, an assessment of possible causes, and the approach should be individualized to the person's abilities and his or her physical, emotional, and social needs. Again, this is why nursing home care, this is why even assistive living care is so important. It's professional. Uh, we're not just going, we're not just sending someone to a, on a cruise ship where they get a couple meals a day or to a resort or a hotel where they can get food down in the dining room and maid services. We are sending someone, uh, a resident with dementia, to a facility or nursing home or an assisted living community because we want them to be cared for and monitored safely and being, being, me, being given the care that they need to attain and maintain what is highest practicable for them. Maybe different than what's practicable for you or for me. Uh, Maybe different than what's practicable for them tomorrow or next week. But we want to have professional, focused services to meet the needs of each individual. So a little bit about what steps should be taken. As I know here on the side, every provider should be doing this. Now, this comes really from the federal guidelines, federal requirements for nursing homes. But again, if you are uh, in another type of community, if you're working with individuals in another type of community, these are the things that we would want to see. So obtain details about the person's behaviors. You know, so if someone is exhibiting behaviors, if they're becoming upset, if they're becoming agitated, when does it happen? Where does it happen? How long does it last? What are some of the underlying causes? Who can we talk to about when this goes on? People on other, um, people on the weekend staff, people on the night shift, family members or friends who come to visit. Um, how do we know what is going on and why? Let's identify some potentially remediable causes. If it's a medical condition, if someone has a urinary tract infection or they're constipated, they may just need, and when was the last time they went to the bathroom? If it's been a couple of days, they may need to have, uh, you know, some help, uh, something to relieve whatever is going on. Implement non-pharmacological approaches. Again, these are the standards of care to understand what is going on and understanding that this, any behavior, again, is a form of communication. Now, these two last two, I think, are really important. Again, these come from the federal guidelines for nursing homes. It's important that the care plan be implemented in a consistent way across all shifts and across all caregivers. So that's really important. If you realize, if you've identified that a resident needs something during the day, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, if, if you've identified that a resident needs something during the day, he or she's going to need that at night, in the evenings, he or she's going to need that in the weekends, 
facilities have to be implementing that across shifts, across days, etc. And then this is important as well is that facilities caregivers, no matter where they are, should be constantly assessing the effects of the approaches that they develop, identifying any benefits, any problems, responding to them in a timely fashion, involving the medical director and the physician, uh, administrative staff as necessary, and treatment should be adjusted accordingly. Again, as I said before, as many of you I'm sure know, residents can have you know, be better in the morning, they can be better in the evening. They may have changes, you know, um, from one week to the, the next in terms of their needs. That's who we are. We are dynamic people, and we continue to be dynamic people uh, even if we develop dementia. So it's so important that this is the kind of care. Where, that's why, again, people go to a nursing home, and it's even why they go to an assisted living, is that we want to have a professional level of care we want to have a professional monitoring and approach to us as individuals, just as we would want in our everyday lives as people outside of nursing homes and assisted living. We would want that if we were in a facility or a community. So here are just a little bit about some non-pharmacological approaches. As I mentioned a couple of times, clinical. A lot of times a person is in pain or they may be uncomfortable. If I sit too long, um, you know, my, my legs start to hurt, uh, my back starts to hurt, my neck definitely starts to hurt. I need to get up. I even have a watch now. The Apple Watches tell you time to get up every hour. But a resident with dementia, too often we might, you know, have them in a wheelchair, we might, you know, or in, or in a regular chair. We might have set them up in a TV room or in, or in their own room. Let's identify, you know, maybe it's something, maybe they're just uncomfortable. I remember hearing one um, from, from one nursing home that the resident became agitated every afternoon when she um, when she was taken into the in, into the congregate room you know, where where residents got together, and finally someone realized that she was she was in a wheelchair she was brought into the room she was lit, put against the same wall every single afternoon and every single afternoon the light would come in through the window directly into her eyes. And because she had dementia, she could not say, this is uncomfortable. Please move me. The light is shining right in my eyes, bright sunlight right in my eyes. So she was stuck there. She was basically imprisoned in her dementia and in her wheelchair um, with the bright light trapped. Uh, and all it took was someone to realize, to take a moment to look around and see what's going on. So it could be that, you know, uncomfortable. It could be, you know, again, and when we talk about clinical, of course, we talk about medical conditions. But as I said before, it could be urinary tract infection. It could be back pain or a stomachache, et cetera. But those things should be first looked at. What is going on? It could be environmental, as I just said, with that resident who was in the, uh, you know, in, in the resident um, TV room and the light was shining in her face. What's really important is that, Staff are trained that they have are trained with communication skills. They're trained with person-centered bathing and dressing. Uh, they are trained to minimize and avoid care-resistant behaviors during teeth brushing or other oral hygiene, or when helping a resident to get dressed, to eat, to bathe, to go to the bathroom, etc. 
and that there should be strategies for understanding what a resident is communicating and how to respond to his or her needs appropriately. Again, as I said earlier on, we, CMS, professional providers want us to be, and researchers want us to be looking at this from the resident perspective. What is he or she experiencing? How is he or she experiencing the world? And what is going on if we are seeing these behaviors? What is the resident trying to communicate? Lastly, and this is important, I think too many people uh, kind of skip over, is activities. Activities, uh, you know, in, whether it's a nursing home or assisted living or someone's getting care at home, uh, an individual should have activities that are appropriate and pleasurable for him or her. Uh, and that could be, uh, especially for residents with, with um, dementia, could be music therapy, it could be different forms of art therapy, there's even, you know, chair yoga and other things that keep a resident engaged, entertained, etc. A lot of what I hear about from residents with dementia or about residents with dementia is that they're just bored and no one is thinking to address the, um, those needs. No one is thinking about, well, what can we do for this individual? And that's why I keep on saying, and I always remind myself and I try to remind others as well, as of course we're doing here, is that that person is not just gone. That Yes, they can't communicate the way they did in the past. Yes, they don't understand or remember perhaps the way they did in the past, but they are still experiencing happiness, sadness, joy, boredom, uh, pain, uh, etc. So how are we addressing that uh, in a way that meets his or her needs? So the last section I wanted to talk about today, and we'll leave some time for Q&A, is some resources to support resident-centered advocacy about this issue. So as I've mentioned a couple of times, we have a, you know, a lot of materials on nursinghome411.org. Everything that we talk about is available there, um, and we really try to connect residents and families and ombudsmen uh, and caregivers, professional and, and other caregivers, with as many resources as possible. You are welcome to take these resources, whether you are working for or in a nursing home, whether you're a family member, uh, family or, or resident council, an ombudsman. Of course, uh, we, you know, we really love to work closely with, with the ombudsman. That um, you can take these materials and use them in any way that you like. The whole point, as far as we're concerned, is getting out these standards, getting people to understand and helping them to implement better care for our residents. So I'm going to go through a couple of the resources that we have. We put together a couple of years ago now a Dementia Care Toolkit. And so here's one of the fact sheets. Uh, it's available again on our website, Dementia Care cons Considerations. So these questions and these considerations, they're not just things that I made up. These are actually taken from the Dementia Care Survey, the inspection process that was pilot tested by the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as I mentioned before, the federal agency. So, you know, everything that we do, we always try to base it on the best research that's out there, the federal requirements, professional standards of care for nurses, for medical directors, et cetera. It's not me saying this is what I think should happen as an advocate. It's based upon what is known, what is proven, and what is expected. 
So this again came from the dementia care survey that the federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services put together of things that surveyors should ask and that we should ask as well. So here, just to go through a couple of them, does the nursing home have specific policies and procedures related to dementia care? And that's whether or not they have a special dementia unit. That's not something I personally would worry too much about. There's different thoughts about whether a special unit is a good thing or a bad thing. But do they have specific policies? Are there procedures in place for caring for residents with dementia? And again, this is something that you could ask anywhere, whether it is a nursing home, whether it is assisted living, whether it is home care. If you're, if you're working with a home care agency and you have a resident with you know, a loved one with dementia, are these things in place? Do they have processes? Do they have uh, sensitivity training? Do they have communication training? Um, is it a philosophy um, of care for residents with dementia? And what is it? Are care staff actively trying to understand the meaning behind dementia-related behaviors in a way that is appropriate and beneficial to the resident? Uh, and then I also I have on the right-hand side here some practices to observe and consider. So these are something observed for language or routines that could have an impact on dignity and or function, such as the use of bibs. Uh, a high percentage of residents wearing socks and no skid socks, excuse me, and institutional gowns instead of their own clothing and shoes. This is, again, for a nursing home, and it's certainly true for assisted living or in other settings as well. If you're getting home care, is, your, is the individual being dressed and treated with dignity uh, in the course of, her, of his or her day? Uh, observe for staff talking with residents, not talking about them or only talking to other staff and ignoring residents. Observe for culturally appropriate meals when you're, when you're in the facility. So I'm not going to go into it too much because I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I just wanted to, again, plug in with you, and these resources are available for free on our website. Uh, here's a fact sheet on dementia care and drugging standards. So this is really important because, as I mentioned before, and those of you who have been on previous programs, we have done a lot of work and we have a lot, a lot of resources regarding antipsychotic drugging because it's so prevalent in nursing homes and assisted living and for many, many residents and individuals inappropriate. And this happens in the community as well, that we hear of people being given Seroquel or other powerful antipsychotic drugs and that's something about which we should be very careful and make sure, again, as I spoke about before, informed consent, that the resident, the, the individual, the family is informed about the strengths and weaknesses of any treatment and understands the alternatives and is given a choice. So here are some standards. This is, again, from the federal regulations as what is expected when someone is uh, receiving drugs. So this is, again, the language is from the federal regulations and the federal guidance, not my personal um, language. And we include here, for those of you who have been on our programs before, for every fact sheet, I'll just mention briefly, you can see it in purple, uh, and again, these are online as well, we have the name of the requirement, the federal requirement, a descriptive title, and then we have the 42 CFR, that's the Code of Federal Regulations, because I want people to see, to have the resource to go back. It's not just that someone from LTCCC told me about this or some advocate told me about it, but actually we can go back and cite this 
to the federal code. This is the expectation. So for this one, uh, drug regimen review, this is a new requirement from 2016. The drug regimen of each resident must be reviewed at least once a month by a licensed pharmacist. This review must include a review of the resident's medical chart. The pharmacist must report any irregularities to the attending physician and the facility's medical director and director of nursing, and those reports must be acted upon. Irregularities include, but are not limited to, any drug that meets the criteria set forth um, in paragraph D below, uh, free from unnecessary drugs or any unnecessary drugs. I'll just move down very quickly. Uh, unnecessary drugs, number two here, is each resident's drug regimen must be free from unnecessary drugs. An unnecessary drug is any drug when used in excessive dosage, including duplicative drugs, so two drugs that may do the same thing, um, for excessive duration for too long, without adequate monitoring, without adequate indications for its use, in the presence of adverse consequences which indicate the dose should be reduced or discontinued. So that gets exactly at some of the examples that we gave before about the need for monitoring, um, the need for controlling dosage, for using for only a short period of time if the resident is a danger to him or herself, but not to be relied upon, not to just be given these drugs as if the resident is just something that we put things into. The resident is a person. We would not do this if someone was giving you drugs without your consent or giving you drugs that you didn't need. Um, as a cognitive person, you'd be very upset. And the same holds true. What CMS is saying is that the same expectation goes for the resident and especially goes for the resident with dementia. So we include some more information here specific to psychotropic drugging and some, again, some of those dementia care requirements. So you can see over and over in these resources, um, this is available on our website. It's a two-pager front and back uh, that you can find information that you can use and take away. You don't need to be writing down notes. You don't need to be remembering anything that we talked about today other than I just wanted to plug in for you and for the residents that you're working on, working with, excuse me. Uh, I also wanted to put in this, um, this piece from the Dementia Care Toolkit. This is a fact sheet on the resident assessment and care plan. This was one of the most popular fact sheets that we have, and this talks about what needs to be done in the resident assessment. So the assessment must look at a person's customary routines, their cognitive patterns, how they communicate, their vision, their mood and behavior patterns, their psychosocial well-being, uh, dental, nutritional status, skin condition, medications that they're taking, things that they want to do, their goals, etc. cetera. Uh, so this is something that, again, this is from the federal regu regulations and the federal guidance for those regulations. And it's so important. We want people to understand these are things that you should be looking at. These are things that you can consider. But I know it's very hard. I've been a family member that when you go into a care planning meeting, who's going to remember all these things? It's, it's a lot, but you can write it down. You can use this as a checklist. And now we have, we'll talk about in a few minutes, new forms and resources that you could use uh, that we put together uh, to help you jot down what is important when you're seeing it or when you're thinking about it 
and then take it with you for the resident assessment. And then on the second page, you talk about care planning. In short, the care plan must be based upon the resident assessment. And what I tell family members when I talk to them is like, this is like in boxing a one-two punch, is that you have the assessment, which has to be based upon the resident's needs, strengths, desires, etc. And then you have the care plan. Both of these are required, and the care plan for the resident has to be based upon and implemented based upon what the uh, resident's assessment said. So here's some things that we have in the Dementia Toolkit. We have things about record keeping, as I mentioned before, informed consent. We have more information about the, um, the uh, antipsychotic drugging and non-pharmacological approaches, et cetera. I just want to say also thank you here to the FanFox and Leslie R. Samuels Foundation. They supported the development of, this, of that toolkit. And to the family councils, we worked with two wonderful family councils in Terrence Cardinal Cook Nursing Home and the Riverside Nursing Home, both in New York City. They welcomed me into their meetings every single month for two years as we, we put together these materials, uh, and they were just invaluable. So here are, we're just going to briefly talk about some more resources that we have. So we have a, we started under this grant with the New York State Health Foundation that's supporting today's program, a Family and Ombudsman Resource Center. As you can see here, it has the buttons for the fact sheets, the Dementia Care Advocacy Toolkit, uh, for information about staffing levels, for handouts, for forms, etc., information on upcoming and previous webinar programs. So for those of you who have issues getting onto the program, etc., cetera, uh, again, please sign up for them. You'll get the links directly from us, and you can see upcoming programs, what programs are coming up, as well as watch past programs here from our Family and Ombudsman Resource Center. <laughs> Sorry again about my dog. Uh, we have a new page, Forms and Tools for Resident-Centered Advocacy. We're growing this list. As you can see on the left-hand side, we have Word files. On the right-hand side, we have PDF files, whichever is easiest for you to use. Now, with the PDF files, you can, many of you can use that. Fill it in on your phone or on an iPad or a handheld device if you have it, or you can print them out, etc. cetera. Uh, so it's true for both the Word files and the PDF files. You can print them out and you can use them. We have a lot of different materials here. We're going to talk about just a couple of them. One here is a resident preferences form. You know, as I was saying before, it's up to the facility to understand, to be talking to family members, to be talking to the resident if possible. What is the resident like? What, what is going on with the resident? How do we meet the resident where he or she exists? So I've always thought since I did that first project with the family councils, you know, how is someone going to know that? How is someone going to write that all down? Again, I've been a family member. I know it's hard to track these things. So we put together this form that can be printed out. You can fill it out online as a PDF. You can download and copy it out, print it, you know, in, and write by hand. Um, it says, you know, what the person wants. The form actually goes on for several pages. You can use or fill in as much of it as you like. I just included two pages here, but you can see my preferred, what I prefer to be called. I like to be woken up naturally, naturally, excuse me, or around a certain time. Preferred morning routine. What my bathing preferences are. What my music and TV preferences are. So if I'm becoming bored or becoming upset, maybe I'd like to listen to music. Music therapy 
and Music and Memory, which is a great organization, you know, a lot of that can be very helpful. But if you like music and you like uh, 70s rock and roll or R&B, then listening to opera is not going to make you feel better. So we want people to have the ability or their family members or their loved ones, sometimes a loved one may be in another state um, or a loved one may, you know, uh, or an individual, excuse me, with dementia may have a little bit of dementia. That would be the time to speak to them about some of these needs and interests uh, and to speak to the family members or the family members to use this to understand what are my favorite foods, what kind of activities do I like. So if I'm upset, what would I find comforting versus what might I find upsetting? We also developed a couple different forms for record keeping for residents. So this is, this is the, the main form that we have. It can be used by individuals who have a concern or by family councils or by resident councils if they want to track concern that they are raising in the facility. So it gives you a very easy way to, you know, to write down and to keep track when the issue occurred, what it was, who you spoke to, um, who was involved in it, what was the response by the facility or the staff people who you spoke to, and then what actions were taken. And the second and further pages of this form allows you to update it. Again, this is available at nursinghome411.org. So it's a very simple way to keep track. What I heard from a lot of families over the years, have heard, excuse me, is that you know something bad was going on and it's been going on for months or it keeps on happening. And that's a very valid concern. Uh, however, if you want to make a complaint to an administrator or to, you know, to the nurse on the floor, or if you want to bring it up with your legislator or bring it, make a complaint to a surveyor when the surveyor is there, it's, I think, so much better to have a record. Okay. This is what happened on November 26th. We had this incident where my, resident was, uh, she called, she, she needed to go to the bathroom, she rang a call bell, nothing happened, she got out of bed herself, and she slipped and she fell and she hurt herself. And we talked about it, and you said that you were going to be more responsive. Uh, you know, people on the floor said, okay, we'll remember to be more responsive, that your mother's able to go out of, you know, get out of bed and go to the bathroom with help. And so you could say that happened in November 26th, and then maybe again, you know, maybe they were there to help her for a while, and then great, and that continued, fantastic. Uh, you were able to advocate for change, but sometimes the problems reoccur. So this gives you a way to say, okay, look, in November I spoke about this, and now it's December, my, you know, my mom hurt herself, and I could see she has an injury because she, you know, she rang a call bell, no one came, and she went to the bathroom and she fell. Again, what are we doing to address this? So it's a way to keep track of, of that's just an example of some of these issues. We also put together, this is a family council meeting agenda and it's a template that you can use. You're welcome to change it, of course, if you want to. Um, we have it in Word and PDF. You also have one for resident council uh, meeting agenda and it gives you some things that you can do to just keep track of what's going on of the meeting, to help you with the meeting, and also to keep track of any issues that you have developed in the meeting that you want to carry on or want to raise within the facility 
or outside the facility. Lastly, I want to just briefly talk about some of the data that we have here. So you can see on the left-hand side of the page, we have um, our logo, Long-Term Care Community Coalition. The Learning Center has a lot of the materials that I spoke about. We have nursing information and data. It's highlighted in gray now uh, and other, other pages as well. Here on the nursing home information and data page, we have information on staffing, we have information on nursing home enforcement, we have information on dementia care, antipsychotic drugging rates, uh, and other information and data as well. So what I did is just to show you, we have here, this is the antipsychotic drugging rates. You can download this file. This is the file for our state, for New York, but we publish it for every single state, for every single facility in the country. Uh, and you can, we try to make it as easy to use as possible. So we include the facility name, we include the county zip code, uh, this is all from the federal reports, and then the percent receiving antipsychotic drugs and the percent not receiving antipsychotic drugs in the facility. These are the non-risk adjusted data. These are the, the pure data of who is actually receiving an antipsychotic drug in each facility. And as you can see on the top, there's a says search sheet. You can search for your facility name. You can search for your county if you're comparing facilities in your county. And you could also sort it with those little arrows at the top of the green line um, by percent not receiving antipsychotic drugs to see who's most receiving it versus who's, uh, who has the least of receiving antipsychotic drugs in their facilities. And this can be helpful. You know, residents, a facility might have residents with more people with a schizophrenia, more people that have um, a need for antipsychotic drugs. But the purpose of this, and this again is federal data because the federal government understands how important this is, uh, is to ask questions, to understand, say, what is going on? If there is not a high level of number of people with, uh, who have a psychotic condition, usually a long-standing psychotic condition like schizophrenia, then I would ask, you know, what is going on? Are there good dementia care practices in that facility or are people just being given antipsychotic drugs? I just realized we're a little bit over, so I'm going to close up very quickly. Uh, I just wanted to end with the care staffing rate. So same thing, if you go into information and data on our website, you can see and you could search by city, by county, by the name of the nursing home, what the staffing rates are for each facility. We'll talk more about staffing, I think, in another program. We've spoken a little bit about, about it in the past, but staffing is key. As I said at the very beginning, staffing is key to quality and to ensuring individualized resident-centered care. And just starting a few months ago, CMS started publishing, and we started including for the public, again, for every state, for every nursing home that reports their data that's in compliance with federal requirements for staff reporting, we, they included non-care staff. So we include administrator hours. We include medical director hours for each nursing home, pharmacist hours. Remember, we said before, a pharmacist is required to review every month what is going on with the resident's record and, and drugging, and to report to the medical director and to the nursing staff if there's something unusual, if there's a problem, and they're required to respond to that problem in some way. So this lets you see, you know, how many, uh, 
How often is a medical director there? How often, how many hours is there a pharmacist in the facility? And then I also, the last hour on the right-hand side is average activities staff hours. Because I, as I said before, sometimes activities are not appropriate. Sometimes the dementia so-called behaviors are just because that individual is bored. So look at activities hours. How do the activity hours in your facility compare to those in other facilities? If you're working in a county or in a region, how, how is your county doing in terms of, compared to others, in terms of average staffing for activity staff, for pharmacist hours, et cetera? So thank you all very much for joining us today. I know we went a little bit over, and thanks for those of you who were able to stay. Our next program on March 19th at 1 p.m. is on reporting abuse, neglect, and suspicion of a crime against a nursing home resident. Here again, as I mentioned at the beginning, is how to join any of our programs. You'll see it on all our materials on our Facebook page. Please, I would strongly encourage you to join us, to sign up for our alerts for future programs, newsletter and alerts nursinghome411.org forward slash join. Uh, we never sell or share our, our lists, so you're welcome to join and uh, take part in future programs. You can also follow us on Facebook. Um, join us on Facebook, so you can follow us on Twitter, etc. Now, uh, for long-term care ombudsman in New York State, if you'd like us to let your supervisor know that you attended this training program, Please take the quick survey at the SurveyMonkey link on the bottom left-hand side below. This is also posted on our website on the PowerPoint presentation. And for family members in New York State, we strongly recommend joining with the Alliance of New York Family Councils or connecting with them. It's a great group. I'm so happy and proud to be uh, involved in it. Uh, but it's an independent group of family councils in New York State it is our, you know, goal to empower and strengthen families and family councils uh, because you are often the ones who are most able to speak uh, for the needs of residents with dementia. Uh, so, again, any way that we can connect with you, please keep in touch with us. Um, we would really appreciate it and welcome it. I'm going to open it up for questions now. For those of you who need to leave, you can also shoot us an email, info at LT, as in Tom, CCC. .org. Uh, if you have any questions or concerns, all these resources, again, are on our website, nursinghome411.org. Before I open it up, I'm going to see if there's any written questions. Um, okay. Uh, okay, I don't see any written questions, so I'm going to open it up for anyone who has questions. And I know that we went long, so thank you for those who were able to stay. Hi. Hi, any questions or comments? Okay. Uh, I don't hear anything. Again, if you have any, I know we went over, so thank you for... I muted everyone again. Thank you for staying on and those of you who were able to stay on a little bit longer. I appreciate it.